Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Carl. I'm the pastor at Trinity Church Unley. It's lovely to be with you again this morning. Uh, we're doing something different again this week for um, the second time in a row. I'm taking you on a walk with me. Uh, we're on our way through the CBD because today I need to get a new pair of shoes. Well, these shoes that I'm wearing today are, are pretty old ones. I've been wearing them for at least the last six or maybe even seven years. They've done well as shoes, but you know the reality is it's just time to take these old things off and to put some new ones on. Uh, shoes really affect the way in which we walk, don't we? I mean, imagine trying to go for a run wearing a pair of gum boots or playing tennis in steel cap boots or something like that. Uh, shoes really do shape the way in which we walk. In the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul often refers to the way in which we walk, encouraging us to walk with Jesus. Uh, in the ESV, you read something like that. Uh, most of the time today, we uh, read in the NIV, uh, and that translates it more as live for Jesus. So our walk defines the way in which we live our lives. In the book of Ephesians, it has quite a lot to say about the way in which we walk. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, at least in some versions, says something like this, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And here the idea of walking is, it's not really to do with the steps that we take or those sorts of things, but, but really it's about the way that we live our life. So the NIV reads, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now I don't think Paul is really zooming in so much on just the Gentile way of life here, but he does want us to be changed. He says we're to put off the old way of life, the life before we knew Jesus, and we're to put on the new life. Today, I hope that you remember this. When I put off these old shoes, and you come with me and we put a new pair on, but you'll remember that Ephesians 4 is about the putting off of the old life and the putting on of the new, the new life in Jesus. Well, thanks so much for coming shopping with me. That's now two weeks in a row where we've done something pretty strange to kick off this sermon. But I hope that in the near future, we'll be able to see each other again in person and you'll actually be able to see these shiny new shoes that I'm wearing today. Won't that be exciting to be able to see each other in person? But really what I want you to be excited about today is, is not the new shoes that I'm wearing, as great as they are, but really I want you to be excited about the message in this part of Ephesians chapter 4. Because this is an intensely practical part of the letter. In a nutshell, this is what it says. Start being what you already are. Start looking the part. Start acting the part. Start going on in your journey to become the new person that Jesus has already made you. You know, I think verses 22 to 24 are, are key verses in our passage today. Let me read them to you now. This is what it says. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
You were taught to be different. Put off the old self and put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now you'll see an outline of the talk today in the notes section. If you find that helpful, please look there. I want to keep things relatively simple today. There are just three sections. First section I want to talk about just helping us to remember what we once were. The second section of the talk I want us just to have a think through what's been done for us and how we've been changed. And thirdly, I just want us to spend a bit of time thinking about our response to that. Well, if we're going to see and know what it is that we're becoming, it's helpful to remember what we once were. So let me read to you from verse 17 of chapter 4. This helps us to see what we once were. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. Here's the initial instruction that Paul wants for us to see. Live differently. So Jesus has been at work in you. He's made you a different person. And so you must live differently. For the believers in Ephesus, those to whom this letter was first written, Paul wants them to remember that they are now made differently. They were dead, but now they're alive. They followed the ways of the world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, but now they follow Jesus. They were made differently, and Paul wants their lives to reflect that. In verses 17 to 19, we see Paul describe the way of life for those who don't know Jesus. Now, Paul's not pulling any punches here either. He says of these people that they are lacking understanding, that they're separate from God, that they're ignorant of the work of Jesus, that they're hard of heart, that they're given over to sensuality, impurity and greed. I wonder how you feel about these words. Do you think Paul's painting an accurate picture of life without Jesus? Do you think he's maybe being overly critical? My experience is that there are many people in our world who, despite not knowing Jesus, they are still kind and they might even be described as generous. But Paul here outlines the reality of what life is like without Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, Paul says you're separated from the life of God. That's because Jesus is the way to God. He's the way we understand God. He's the way in which we gain access to God. So if you want to get to know God, you need to know Jesus. Can I say if that's you, you want to get to know Jesus this morning? Thanks so much for joining with us. I'm so glad that you've chosen to spend an hour or so this morning, looking into Jesus. If you want to know more about who Jesus is, you're in the right place. If you want to know more about how you can get to know Jesus better, 
please let me know afterwards. We run some courses at Trinity Church Unley called Looking Into Life with Jesus. We'd love you to come along to one of those. Perhaps you've known Jesus for a while already. Well, I want you to look then really closely at verses 17 to 19 today. See, Paul might not have had a, a, a mission heart on when he was writing this passage. But as you read these words now, and as you see what it means to live life without Jesus, I hope you see the futility and the hopelessness and the despair. I don't want this to be a burden to you, but I do hope that it gives you some additional motivation to keep speaking the truth in love to those who don't know Jesus. We have a great missional task as a church. I'd love you to make a list, maybe just in your mind, but it would even be better to write it down on paper or in a notebook of three people who you don't think know Jesus at the moment. I'd love you to be praying for them and inviting them to come to church online or maybe asking them to join us at our next life event. It's a great thing to be able to remind people of the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. But Paul's writing these words really, I think, to set up a comparison. The comparison is life with Jesus and life without. Now, the original recipients of this letter, they are already living with Jesus. And so Paul goes on to show them in verse 20, the contrast. Let me read to you from verse 20. This is what Paul says. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So I wonder, can you see the contrast that Paul's presenting here? Paul's setting us up with kind of two distinct groups or two distinct categories. Those who know Jesus and those who don't. Those who live as the Gentiles and those who live for Christ. Those who this letter is written to Well, they fall firmly, Paul insists, in the second category. They know Jesus. And because of that, Paul says they should live differently. I wonder if you can see the three ways in which Jesus has been at work amongst these people to whom this letter was originally written. And I can see here that firstly, they've learnt the way of life that is Jesus' way of life. They've learnt a new way. Secondly, they've heard the words of Jesus, words spoken by Jesus, and I assume also words spoken about Jesus in love. Words that tell them what Jesus did and what that means for him. They've heard the gospel. And thirdly, they were taught in him. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means, apart from perhaps the idea that Jesus permeates every aspect of what it is that they have learned. You might wonder how Paul knew all of this. How could he write this? Well, remember that it was Paul who was in Ephesus for a number of years and each day he was teaching in the local hall. He may well here be referring to the very thing that he himself taught. Perhaps he was their teacher teaching them about Jesus. And here at this school of Jesus, this school about Jesus, the saints in the church of Ephesus were first taught about changing their shoes 
taught about how to walk a new way, taught how to live a different life. It's such a great image here, isn't it, that Paul's describing, the putting off of the old self and the putting on of the new. I want you to see here that this first happened, this this changing of the shoes, this learning to walk a new way or this living a new life, it first happened when Paul's readers first understood about Jesus, when they first believed. Some of you might be able to remember a, a time in your life when you first came to know Jesus. That may have resulted in a dramatic change in the way that you lived your life, a change in your clothing. Here in the school of Jesus, the saints in the church of Ephesus have learned to dress themselves with the life that belongs to the new creation. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy reading or hearing about people's stories of how they've come to know Jesus. This week I read a story about a man named Jonathan, and this is his story about how he came to know Jesus. The article appeared in a magazine called Christianity Today. I'm paraphrasing a little bit of his story, but this is kind of what happens. He describes his conversion at an electronic dance music concert. This is what he says. I was rolling on ecstasy. There's a feeling of euphoria that comes over you and you feel connected to the people around you in a way that you never could if you were sober. Ecstasy is a a psychedelic drug that opens up a new pathway in your brain. A lot of people reported that it gives them a, a kind of spiritual experience. Maybe they're just high. Or maybe there's more to the world than our normal senses can perceive. Jonathan goes on to say, as I watched the audience dance under this big banner, this V for Vendetta mask, he says, everything fell into place. The scales fell off my eyes. And he goes on to describe how he suddenly realized who Jesus was. And he walked out of that concert knowing what he had to do next. He says he went and called an old co-worker and asked them about churches in the area. I didn't know what I was walking into, says Jonathan. Joining a church at first was a little awkward. When I first went to a life group meeting at someone's house, it was the first time I'd been sober in a social gathering for years. Much about Jonathan's lifestyle had to change. Jonathan walked into an electronic dance music concert one way and he walked out another way. That's not because he changed his shoes while he was on the dance floor, but because in a moment, in that dance studio, his life was changed. The old way was taken off and the new put on. He'd heard Jesus' words. He was given a new mind, a new attitude. The old self taken off and a new put on its place. Now, For Jonathan, the shoes didn't necessarily fit perfectly at first. They hadn't been worn in. I want you to see from the passage that this happens when we first put our hope and trust in Jesus, when we respond to his call. But just because we change at the time that we believe firstly in Jesus, that doesn't mean that the change process is completely finished. You know, just like putting on a new pair of shoes, they don't always feel very comfortable at first, do they? Sometimes we might even kick off our new shoes and return to the old because that old way just feels more comfortable. And so it is, I think, in the putting off and the 
the putting on of the new. We're to keep putting off our old way of life and to keep putting on the new as we seek to be more and more like God in true righteousness. And we see this in the next section of the chapter from about verse 25 onwards, where Paul gives some concrete examples to the Ephesian church about how they can work in growing in God-likeness. Now, Paul wouldn't need to have written this if they were already living perfectly. That's obviously not the case. My own experience, and I imagine your experience, is that we need to keep working at putting on the off, putting on the old, and putting on the new. Before we hit the list of things that Paul encourages the Ephesian church to pursue, I want to pause here just for a moment to ask you to think this through a little. See, Christianity has been criticised in the past, hasn't it, as being all about taking the fun out of life, as about being kind of the don't-do religion, don't-do-drugs, don't-be-greedy, don't-sleep-around. But I want you to notice here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's not just providing a list of what not to do, of, of what to put off, but he's also telling us what to put on. This is not just about the stripping away but also the putting on of things, the putting on of the new self, better things, things that enable us to be more Christ-like. These are the things we're likely to be working on for our whole lives. See, if we stay with the clothing analogy, when we were first taught about Jesus, we, we might have kicked off our shoes. We might have walked differently, but as we grow in maturity, we need to keep putting on the uniform of those who live as part of the new creation. The shoes are done, but we're not yet fully dressed. In verse 25 to 32 of this chapter, Paul gives a series of examples about how we're to get fully clothed. There are six in all. I don't think we have time here to go through all of them. And in fact, I don't think they're an exhaustive list of everything that the Christian person needs to do. There may be other things that you or I need to put off and other things that we need to put on in order to look more like Jesus. Paul's picked here, I think, some things that will be helpful for his initial readers. I'd like to encourage you to read through this list and see if there is anything here that captures your attention. We're going to be speaking more about truth and anger and work this morning and the other bits. But for you, it might be the other bits that are more applicable. Paul starts by saying this in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbours, for we're all members of the one body. Did you notice here, Paul's bringing back that body analogy, that one that we looked at last week? See, here Paul outlines the importance of speaking to each other truthfully, of, of putting off lies, of putting off falsehood, and instead of putting on the talk of truthfulness. Don't lie to each other, Paul says. And he says it because we're all part of the one body. We're all part of the one church. Oh, this is a really great way of thinking about truthfulness in the church. See, lies wouldn't help the body as a whole, would it? I mean, the head has got to be truthful to the foot. I mean, let me give you an example. Your head, you know, it could lie to the foot about the foot having gangrene and say to the foot, ah, foot, you're all okay. Stop complaining. Take a Panadol. Go to bed early and tomorrow it'll be all okay. The foot might be a bit brassed off by that. But this doesn't help the body, does it? The next day, the head still 
will have as much trouble getting out of bed as the foot will if the foot's got gangrene. Sorry, what might we, we be tempted to lie about in church? Well, perhaps you're tempted to lie about your brokenness. Maybe you feel broken, but that you'd never be able to admit to that in the church. Perhaps you think that that would, might make the body as a whole weaker. Do you have people who you can share your struggles and your pains with? If not, can I encourage you to get into a small group or to find a Christian friend? Paul's encouraging us to speak truthfully. In verse 26, he moves on to talking about anger. He says this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. I think what's interesting to note here at first is that Paul doesn't say, don't get angry. Rather, he's picking up Psalm 4 here and he's putting some qualifications around anger. What does this mean? Well, I think we get a little more insight into this when we see that down in verse 31, anger is here told as something that we're to get rid of, along with brawling and slander and malice. So, perhaps we ought to understand there being two different types of anger. Anger that causes you to sin and anger that's more righteous. Because there are some things in this world, aren't there, where we can be righteously angry about these things. There are some terrible injustices in this world. It might be that we can get genuinely angry about these things without wandering into sin. And perhaps there are times in our lives when when we need to let anger speak so that it will demonstrate the depth of our emotions and the care that we have for certain things. And yet so often it's easy to slip back into the old clothes, isn't it? To use anger for our own gain. Anger is a powerful emotion and, and Paul says clearly that part of living for Jesus is to be different and so we have to have a different way of dealing with anger. Anger must not give rise to sin. And the line between anger and sin, it's a thin one at times, isn't it? I experienced this pretty recently on the road. I was driving along, minding my own business one day, when a speeding black four-wheel drive just zoomed past. It smacked the side mirror on my car and then cut in front of me. It didn't take long for my fright to turn to anger and then for me wanting to go down the road and tell that driver what I thought of him. Now Paul says, part of being clothed with new clothes, part of Looking different is that in our anger we wouldn't sin. That can be hard. Some of us find it more tricky than others. Paul says that part of looking different is that we'd not sin in our anger. Now that can be really hard, can't it? What happens when someone takes the credit for work that you've been pouring yourself into for the last month or so? Do you want to seek revenge for that? Well, Well, Paul also here speaks about not letting our anger fester. Now, I'm not sure that we need to read this uh, section literally, though I have heard for those who have found this uh, verse very helpful in a marriage situation, to not let the sun go down in your anger. But my thinking about why it might not be read literally is that I don't think you get longer to dwell in your anger in summer than you do in winter, simply because of when the sun sets. But the principle is clear, isn't it? Don't hold on to your anger. You see, nursing it and growing it, well, at least in my own experience, is that when I do that, it's harder not to let that anger lead me into a place of sin. In verse 28, Paul turns his attention to thieves and to those who steal. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work 
doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. The start of this verse kind of makes me almost laugh. I, I think it's you know so well ingrained into us that stealing is wrong that internally in my mind it goes duh as I read this. Of course we wouldn't steal. But as I've thought about it over the last few days, there is a, a, a deeper sense here in which Paul is urging each one of us not to stop, not to just stop shoplifting, but also to be productive and useful within our communities. See, here we see one of the great benefits of being gamefully employed. It it gives us the opportunity to share with others. If you're a typical Australian, then I imagine you probably spend a fair bit of time complaining about your work and your workplace. And granted, work can be difficult. After all, work was frustrated by the fall in Genesis. But I want you to see here the encouragement to work. And the reason for work being able to share with those in need. I suspect that over the coming year or so, a good few of us will find that the economic situation makes just having a job more difficult. We might lose our jobs or have our hours cut. My encouragement here is that that work need not be limited to a paid job that you've had for the last 15 years. There There are other ways to work. There are so many ways in which you can work in order to be able to share something with the community. At a deeper level, filling our time with useful and constructive things to do that benefit the wider community is part, I think, of putting on these new clothes. Take off the stealing, put on usefulness and a willingness to contribute to the community. Well, I'd like, you to, leave, I'd like to leave you to think through these other take off and put on instructions that Paul gives in this section of Ephesians. I'd like you to work out how they might apply to your own life. I want to remind you now of what we've covered today. Paul is speaking to the church and he's encouraging the church to live differently. Not different in the sense of simply being alternative. This is not a passage encouraging us to pursue a tree change or a sea change or something like the hippie lifestyle. No, he's saying, be different to what you were before you learned about Jesus. Live differently to the old way. Strip off the old clothes and their association with falsehood and lies and idleness and ignorance and impurity and put on the clothes of the new creation. Live differently because you are different. You've been changed. You're no longer in ignorance about who God is and what he's like. Be different because through the power of the Spirit, you now have the ability to grow more like Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we've been told to put on the new self to be created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I'm going to pray for us that we do that now. Father God, we thank you for this little passage in Ephesians that helps us to see what we were once like. This passage that encourages us to strip off our old clothes and to put on the new, to become more and more like Jesus as we live our lives. 
And we pray that you would equip us to do that more and more each day. Amen.